Welcome to my Big Safety Challenge, a podcast all about stories of safety leadership, presented by Dale Carnegie and the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. So Tiffany, isn't great because you never know when something you say, I say, or somebody will say to another person that will leave an impression upon them and make a difference. And that's the the opportunities of a podcast like this. Absolutely. That's influence. It is. Mm -hmm. But you never know. It's kind of like with your kids. Mm -hmm. You think, well, I got a really important idea and message to give, and sometimes they get it. Mm -hmm. But other times, it's like the thing you just kind of said off the cuff or you did, Mm -hmm. and years later, they say, well, I remember that. Right. And that's our goal in this, that we want to be influencers. We do. It makes me smile. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's the way to live. <laughs> and so we have an influencer with us today. We absolutely do. We have the, look, I said the Dr. Sharifa Batts here joining us from beautiful Long Beach, California, which is which is my home as well. And um, we're so glad you could join us, Sharifa. Thank you for being here for all our listeners and, and spending a little bit of time with, with Merle and I. Oh, thank you guys for allowing me to be here. I'm super excited. So why don't we just get right into it? Tell us a little bit about, you know, your current role and what you do and how you got to this current role of yours, because I know you've had this extraordinary journey. And so tell tell the listeners about the journey you've had. Definitely. So currently, I work at Ports America. We are the largest U.S. stevedore operator. Um, We operate at 33 ports in over 70 locations. And currently, I am the head of environment and sustainability. I do have a quick question because I want to make sure that we give some clarity to your title and what you do, right? So you said environment, you're you're the head of environment and sustainability. I want the listeners to understand how long you've been in that role and what your role was before environment and sustainability so that we can see how environment and safety also marry together. So how long have you been in your current role and how does that current role parlay into the longshoremen and environment and sustainability? Such a great question. So typically you have what's called an HS&E. HS&E is health, safety, and environment. So they all typically go hand in hand. It's just when you have a, a operation that has a lot of longshoremen that you have to keep safe, um, the E part, which is the environment, kind of gets overlooked a little bit, right? Because safety is the number one priority. So I am recently the head of environment and, and sustainability, which uh, took place in June of this year. But prior to that, Since 2008, I moved up the ranks of safety. So I started off as a site-specific safety manager and then moved to a regional safety manager. And then I was promoted to the coast. Then I moved up into corporate safety. Um, Then I became the vice president of safety and um, learned quickly. So that was over the entire organization of the United States. And it's a big role. So I would cover the Gulf and the Pacific. And then I had a counterpart that was the vice president of um, safety when it came to the Atlantic side. Uh, But then once I received my doctorate degree, the CEO asked, "Okay, we don't want to lose you. So what 
would you like? And I said, you know, California has some of the most stringent environmental laws. And we're a little bit behind when it comes to environment and sustainability. So I would really like to tackle that role and build it from the ground up because we really need in order to comply with the laws and regulations and many other states are starting to jump on board. um, We need to get the ball rolling in this area. So that's how I transitioned and became the head of environment and sustainability. And then we have others who are now in in charge of safety. But since 2008 until 2023, I had multiple roles um, moving up the corporate ladder in safety. So uh, this sounds like, uh, like how many people were you overseeing in that role where you had from coast to coast to Gulf to the West Coast? (laughs) So different, different people, right? So you have your manager side, um, your managers and your supervisors, and then you have your longshoremen. You work hand in hand because, again, on the dock, the foremen are the uh, union representative with the union. Um, from the manager side, we direct the foremen and the foremen direct the longshoremen. So um, indirectly, thousands of longshoremen. Directly, then you oversee the foremen and they work as directed per their contract. And then you also have your safety managers um, that are in each role. And so they oversee sites or regions, and then they would report up to me. Now, you came through customer service. Let me get this in my head. Had you ever done any work out (laughs) on the docks yourself? I mean, so I don't doubt, I, I just think where people would say, well, who does she think she is? How did you work with that? Ah. Which I know you did. Well, let me me tell tell you, you. that's exactly what I got. (laughs) You know, and as an all-American hurdler, I had to literally tackle those challenges like they were different uh, hurdles in my race, right? And, you know, you have to jump over them and you figure out some unique strategy on how you're going to overcome those challenges in order to be successful. Because with any robust safety program, you have to get the buy-in. And so I got the position as a site safety manager. And in order to really know safety, you have to understand the operations. And that's something I did not have a background in. And so what I decided to do was to come into work at 3 a.m., which is what we call the hoot shift because I work the day side. So I figured from 3 a.m. to 8 a.m., that gave me a good five solid hours. Um, to learn something new. And so what I did is um, down at the docks, the, the one thing that you're able to survive with is um, connections, your network. And I really took those five hours to connect with labor. So I would partner up with a foreman that night and he would give me all the ins and outs of what his job entailed of. And, and I would ask each person, Where do you think you're going to die? Oh, that's an interesting question. What's the worst thing? (laughs) Because in order for me, if I'm in safety, that's my job is to keep people safe. Because I'm not out there and they do the job every day, I need to know what's scariest to them. And where where are we failing them as an organization? And that's where I can jump in with two feet to make improvements. Wow. And so... Each category and each operation 
I would I did this for like six months. It was a crash course learning of the vessel operation of what is it that lashers are doing? Where is it scariest for them? You know, UTR operators, you know, and just every job category, dockmen, signalmen, because those are the people who are on the dock. What is the scariest thing to you? You know, because and what I found is that a lot of individuals, because I had a fresh set of eyes, I was able to say, well, why do you do it that way? And there are, you know, a lot of times Mm. it's well, we've always done it this way. And I'm like, but that doesn't look safe. And that leads us into some (laughs) of some of our other our other questions. Right. Because here you are, Sharifa, coming into a new environment. We know that at the ports, it's very male dominant, right? We know that longshoremen, the majority of the longshoremen are men. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've had like at this point, what, 30 something years at Ports of America? Or I will 20, be going on 25, 25 years at Ports of America. Years of Ports of America. So here you it's, are working in an industry. Yeah. Now, you know that you can hold your own amongst the in in the industry because this is all you really know but they don't know that you can hold your own so how do you bridge that gap where you are coming in as a woman Mm -hmm. also a woman of color let's not let's not forget that part because we know this is legacy anyone who lives near a port or grew up near a port we all know longshoremen and we know that it is a legacy of families the uncle the dad the son the nephew that have been longshoremen so what talk to us about some of the challenges that you had to face and really succumb to and 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 basically get through in order to be impactful in your role as as a safety professional out there on 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 the dock with a predominant male environment as a woman of color i grew up with mm. five brothers and no sisters that um this is a walk in the park a for you. lot because <laughs> just like a regular day <laughs> it, it, well that's what i knew but i had to make sure they knew And so penetrating certain personalities, because as you stated, Tiffany, there are generations down here. So who am I to now come into safety to tell an old timer that they're doing something unsafe, something that they've been doing for 30 years? And let me tell you, the language got colorful as I was told Mm -hmm. to get the F off the dock. Um, what do I know? Who am I? How long have you been here? And one way that I was able to crack that code was one by going in at 3 a.m. for six months because the connections that I built with various individuals, now they spoke on my behalf and they were able to say, hey, don't mess with her. She knows what she's doing. She's here to keep us safe. So that was step one. Step two was really understanding the operation. You did not just say, oh, I'm just here in the office. I'm going to direct from here. You sacrificed five hours early, middle of the night. You watched, you listened, you asked questions, and you earned your stripes. You earned your chops. Congratulations. Well, two points. It is essential for a safety professional to know how the business works and not just the business 
as it relates to safety, but the peripherals of the business too. The risk side of the business, the facility side of the business, the engineering side of the business, how that all works because safety is going to parlay into all of those. But one of the things also that you're mentioning is now you have the culture, right? Of this is how we used to do things. You come in, you've taken what you've learned from one experience, you've applied it into the same thing in this next experience, and you're starting to transcend the culture of this is how we've always done it and start to create your safety culture. How did that start to kind of move you in the direction of, oh yeah, Sharifa, she's the bomb. She knows what she's doing out here. That was one step. Did it just kind of take off from there or was it continuous work that you had to do to start to change the culture? Always continuous work. So one of my strategies was Mm -hmm. to find out who the big dogs were on the dock. Because if I can get their buy-in and acceptance, they would force everyone else. Now that's to can I just say that's <laughs> <And> smart. <laughs> that's smart. That's and the way it how works. many times do safety professionals just try to do it on their own, mm-hmm. Sharifa? But you said, let me get them people out there fighting for me. And it's fraternal, right? It's a fraternal organization. And when you're talking about a fraternal organization, you're having a hierarchy. So I, it, when it came to the managers, um, it was literally making sure that they understood we had to live our values. Safety was one of our core values. And so it was making sure that everyone understood if you have safety in the center of a, you know, a circle, and then you have safety impacts your productivity, because if all of a sudden you're pumping, hey, you can have great production, but all of a sudden, if you have a fatality or a serious injury, you're not producing anything anymore. How much is it? How much are you going to have to make up in production hmm. for the loss of time and the amount of money you have to pay out for an injury? Right. It impacts the quality. It impacts your customer service, your cost, your morale on the dock. Right. So once we understood that, now I have all the managers who are out there pushing the same message and they're living the value of safety. And then to get to that, the journey to your safety excellence to where now we're into an interdependent state of safety. We have changed the culture. It's transitioned from safety's not my job to they are taking the time to go, hey, you better get on your safety vest. You know they don't play with that around here. Hey, you better put on that seat belt. And that's where, as the managers, what we focused on was what we call a walkabout. And that's where we teach them Go outside, you have to engage. It's a behavioral mindset with safety. And so they would, if you see an unsafe act or condition, you need to stop, you've observed it, right? You need to comment on the situation in a positive way. Like, hey, this is gonna help you establish this this connection with the worker. And then you're gonna personalize it. Hey, Billy, Mm -hmm. how's your wife doing today? How are the kids? They're in school. And then you're going to discuss. I noticed that you were climbing up that ladder, but it's it's doesn't it's not an A-frame and no one was there spotting you. Do you think that that's safe? You know, and let him tell you what he was doing was not. Yeah, you know what? It's not. But but John was over there. He was too busy and and da da da. Hey, can I get then you're going to get the agreement. Can I, can I get you to commit that you're not gonna do that again? And it's okay. 
if it doesn't get done right this second, let's wait for John or let's get the proper equipment so that we don't have this accident. And then it's asking them, do you got any other safety concerns? Because now this is my time. Can we learn something? Is there something else going on (laughs) that we need to fix? And then thanking them. So that they understand that they that you've heard what they now, said. Now, you're doing several principles here from Dale Carnegie. That maybe Riley didn't realize it. But first of all, you're talking in terms of the other person's interest. How's your family? What's going on with you? So it's not just run out and busting them and saying, come on, do it right. Mm-hmm. You're taking some time to know people, to connect with them, so on like that. You're even seeing things from the other person's point of view. You're letting them do a great deal of the talking. And Sharifa, what I'm hearing you say, you don't have to be every place all the time. You got a bunches of people who are carrying the 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 the, the banner for you and helping each other out. That's an accomplishment. Down at the docks, you can't go in with guns blazing and and telling people what to do. And through the course of you being in this in safety from being a site representative in 2008 and elevating yourself all the way up to the middle of 2023 in the role of safety to that vice president position, you were able to really figure out what worked and what didn't work. Those guys don't care, and and there are some gals, but predominantly the guys, they don't care that you come out there with your guns blazing. They're used to working in a status quo environment. So it's you've given several examples, Sharifa, of what was really, really, really working. How did you translate that into the higher ranks of the organization and into management so that they got into the buy-in that they knew and supported you in doing what you needed to do to make that a safe environment. Sometimes mm-hmm. you've got this this gap between management and the longshoremen and how were you able to successfully bridge that gap? Because you you can come come out there and sometimes, you know, you're talking the mess with the with the fellas, but then you you gotta go and 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 spend some time with the shirts and ties, so to speak. What were you doing? How yes, you were yes. you navigating that environment? It's something I definitely mm-hmm. have mastered through the years. And uh, it definitely mm-hmm. in our African-American culture, something yes, that we call ma'am. code switching. It's shifting the behavior, mm-hmm. shifting your clothing. It's to the point where, you know, I've even had my safety guys. They I have a clean vest that says Dr. Sharifa Betts. And I have a dirty vest that I've worn throughout the years on the docks that says Reef Dog. And, and the labor knows when I'm out there and I have my boots on mm-hmm. and it's just that. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. using the same, yeah. you know, profanity and you're talking the talk and you're walking the walk when you're climbing up cranes and on the rail cars. Mm-hmm. You are one of them and making them understand. I don't think I'm better than you. Wow. I'm here to learn from you. I need you to coach me just like I can coach you. I have my own expertise and you have yours. Yes. Let's learn from each other. And when I transfer and I come back into the building and I put on my heels and I have on my pants suit and my blazer, then I walk into with the executives and then I'm able to translate what I have from the docs into different ways that they need to either visually or hear the information. And and having that switch 
to the executives and explaining to them why they now have to go put some capital into some expenses that safety needs and then going to the dock to translate to the longshoremen listen uh-huh. you know you want to go home safe don't have me have to come back out here because if i need right. to go to the contract and if we need to mm-hmm. fire somebody right. that's what we're going to have to do please don't make me have to come back out here to do this and going up to the ceo and the vice president saying listen they said that they really need a new machine what's in our capex plan and in our budget so that we can make this happen because when i go back out to the dock i need to let them know that we heard them so what are we going to give in order so that they know what they expressed has been heard and we as a company are doing How something about it. How vital is that for employees to know their voice has been heard? It's the most vital thing ever. And that goes from various levels of managers in the company so that everything is not pushed from the top down. You need to make sure that you're hearing the voices from the bottom up. And you also need to make sure that labor understands Mm. you have heard them and they have such a sense of pride when they see if they suggested that some paint needs to be put on the ground to make it safe or if we need a stop sign or we need a flashing pedestrian light and when they see it go up we make sure that we try to highlight hey your union brother told us about this that's why you need to make sure that you're walking, you know, here. It, we ask people, why aren't you wearing your seatbelt? Because the seatbelts are dirty. So we got them a little seatbelt cover. Hey, your union brother told us about this cover. Make sure you put it on if you have a problem that the seatbelts are too dirty. Oh, okay, yeah, this is a great idea. Now, Sharifa, there are people, though, that are listening to this podcast who deal with unions, and they're having a tough time. <laughs> and they like to blame the unions But often we're the ones on the management team that have created the problem. Mm -hmm. What could you give for some advice to people who says, me and my union, we're at war? There are lots of times and for various reasons, you know, where there will be Mm -hmm. um, tension between management and union. I, I came in during a very, very rough contract negotiation. Back when I started in 2000, it was just a couple of years later, I wanna say in 2002, um, where there was a contract, the union threatened to go on strike and then mm. the managers locked them out. And you talk about tension and I'm like, I'm new, I don't, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> What do you mean I got to go past this group of people? And what I did is I was one to go out and take coffee to them. And I'm like, look, I understand the struggle and I'm not here. This is above my pay grade. But once this contract is signed, we're all still going to have to work together. You know, the people at the top who are negotiating this, they're not out here on the front. They're not working the 12 to 14 hour days. So here keeping those still the connections and somehow finding something that you guys can connect with because even through that tension i was still able to connect with the people that i have to deal with on a day-to-day and reminding them i don't have a problem with you and you don't have a problem with me so because this is going on at the top let's not create a unnecessary tension that has nothing to do with me and you as the hard workers down here. 
and most people that worked, you know, now you have some that were just hardcore, the diehards. And for those, like I tell them, my grandkids call me honey. I just had to kill it with kindness, you know, and just smile every day and, you know, and eventually win them over. And some you have to kind of go toe to toe with because the older generation, what I found, it was so ironic is that it wasn't until I went toe to toe with them Mm -hmm. that I got their respect. Find who the top dogs are on the dock. And once you gain their respect, and and you gain their respect mm-hmm. for many different ways. One is mm-hmm. knowing what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. You got to know the job because down here, people they don't get little scratches. Right. You can die. You lose limbs. It's serious when it comes to safety here. So really getting that respect and and knowing that you know what you're talking about, that right there goes a long way. You showed respect for other people's opinions. Maybe at times you didn't agree with it. But even at that, you respected who they were, what they did, what they said. You may have had to work through it at times, but you respected them. And that goes big. An overwhelming word that I've seen over and over here again, Tiffany, is courage. Courage on her part to face tough situations. And your strength, I think safety professionals need to realize you can be strong and not be a Bully with the truth. And you've got to be strong to people because they, if you just kind of, oh, well, well, they'll eat you up. They will eat you up and spit you out. Sharifa has shown a prime example of this and actually making it transferable and relatable is that we are more alike than we are different. Yes. Right? We are more alike mm-hmm. than we are different. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to get home safely. Everybody needs to earn a paycheck, a livable wage to support their families. Everybody wants to do good work for the company, for the business. And they want to feel good about the work they do. Yes. Yes. Sometimes when you have safety professionals in their roles, if they can understand that and help translate that, because there is sometimes a little short bridge between management and and the workforce, but sometimes that bridge gets really, really, really wide and long. And the safety professional has the capacity and the ability to make that bridge short. But you gotta leave the office to do that. You gotta embrace the differences because some work environments, when you're looking at manufacturing, when you're looking at ports, you're looking at labor, labor, And sometimes there's a vast difference between labor, the makeup of Mm -hmm. labor, and management. And you got to be able to bridge those caps so people can relate and know that we are more the same than we are different. You took the initiative to try to bridge the gap. You didn't sit back and wait for them to come to you. And what challenge would you give to safety professionals who are a little bit tentative who've got these gaps, what could you say to encourage them and and guide them in that need to take the initiative to make things happen? You have to find someone that you can connect with because that's just it. It's like you said, you can't do safety from sitting behind your desk. In order for you to really understand the risks and the hazards that are out there for your employees, you got to get out there and talk to them. And and for those who may not want to engage, 
you got to just jump in with two feet. Find someone that maybe you can take out to lunch. Maybe bring in some donuts Mm. just to spark up a conversation. And once you kind of have that small little connection, now you see them in the hallway or you see them outside and you say hi and they'll talk about a little bit more. You know, you may have to warm up to it, but you have to have connections. So the safety professional needs to remember, it's not just automatic that people give you the trust or look to you. You got to earn. Now, you've probably dealt with some really difficult people. Was there one in particular that stands out to you that you could tell us about that I hope would encourage all of us? You know, I always think about, and his name was Jake, and we called him Jake the Snake. He was our Caucasian Mr. T because he showed up on the docks with all of his gold and had his bald head. And any casual or manager that came through there, he cussed out. You could tell him anything. (laughs) He was the welcoming committee at Evergreen. And when I first started over there, he went off on me one time. And I was like, what is going on with this guy? And I would watch him out of my door and he would cuss everybody out. I think as a joke, they asked me to tell him to get some containers moved. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, I can't wait to hear this one. And so I went over to him and I said, Jake, we're going to get the F out of my face. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, my boss just told me I had to get this done. And so I told him, no, I, I really need you. And he's like, if you don't get the F out of my face. And finally, growing up with five <laughs> brothers, I said, let me tell you something. I don't know who you're talking to this way. This is where my code switch came (laughs) in. And I had to act like, I was like, hey, you need me to act like I'm an LBC CPT girl? No problem. But you need to get this done. I'm not asking anymore. Per the contract, you work as directed. And if I have to go now to the contract, then that's what we're going to have to do. And he looked at me and he's like, why the F should I listen to you? We had words going back and forth. And by the time that exchange was done, he did do what I asked and he gained some respect for me. And the next day I walked in, he didn't cuss at me. He's like, where'd you get those shoes from? And I'm like, my closet? You're talking to me now? Okay. Well, you look handsome today. How about that? And I would walk in my office and then the next day he would say something else. And we just kind of, all of a sudden, we became best friends. And anyone that tried to tell me that they weren't going to do something, he would stomp on them and say, that is not how you talk to her. He became my biggest ally. And it took a bit of time. And anyone that knows Jake the Snake, he had the biggest heart. But he came across as the biggest person you did not want to deal with on the dock. He wanted the Mm. job to be done and to be done right. And once I understood that about him, then I just played on that. Look, you know, you're the best person to do this job. Who else am I going to get to do this? No one's going to do this right. You know, and then you're going to have to come in tomorrow and clean up their mess. So don't you just want to do it and just take care of it and I could bring you in some donuts in the morning? 
And he's like, oh, give me the list. Give me the list. You know, and then he would get it done. But sometimes we get so fearful of that gruff on the outside. We cow down. And you stood up and did it with strength and yet grace, but you did it with strength. And Jake was testing. He was. And sometimes as I'm listening to Sharifa, and this is not always the way to approach it, but sometimes depending, you have to read the room. First of all, you have to know your audience. Not all of your audience is going to be a corporate environment that's educated with doctorate degrees like uh, Dr. Bats here. Some of them are going to have limited exposures, limited educations. They're going to be, you know, raised in certain urban environments. You sometimes have to match energy, as my phrase is. You got to match energy, but you got to know what kind of energy you're matching. And you got to be prepared for the consequences and repercussions when you go in to match that energy. And Tiffany, you are so right. So during my doctorate work, I trademarked the acronym STUDS. It's a five-stage communication process model. You have to stop and then you have to think. Think about what was just said, who said it. Then you need to understand what position is this person in? Understand what are the consequences when I am getting ready to do what I'm about to do or not do. And then you need to decide, are you going to speak? Am I getting ready to match this person's energy? Do I need to decide to just not say anything? What are you going to decide at this point? And then S is speak or not speak. And you are so nail on to where there are times you have to decide, I need to match this person's energy or one, they will never respect me. They will never do what I'm asking for them to do. The other thing, is I don't know how many people were around Jake when y'all went at it, but word gets around <laughs> and every safety professional needs to realize there are moments of truth and you'll either have the respect or you have really lost ground. And that's why, like I said, when I wear two different safety vests, they call out on the radio at certain terminals, reef dogs here. You better Good. make sure your people are on it because all it takes is that one or two times And let me tell you, the key for safety professionals is, again, you got to know your regulations. You need to know your safety rules, but Mm. you need to know your people. You have got to know your people. And again, because they're either going to support you or they're not, you know, but when you don't even know what you're talking about, there's nobody that's going to support you. I have a note here about enforcing rules when it's difficult. Is that a story you can tell us about? Yes, when you see the big container ships coming in, in order to hold the containers in place, there's these bars that you'll see that are crisscrossed around on the edges of the containers that hold them in place. So during stormy weather or anything, the containers don't all fall off into the ocean. And so when the ship comes into berth, then we have lashers that go up and they unlash the container so that the crane operator can start discharging the containers. And what happens is that they don't like to wear safety vests. They're in their dingy, dirty clothes. And the problem is during severe weather or nighttime, they're very difficult to see. 
the crane operators are working and there's rules in place to where they have to work, depending on what region you're in, three to five containers away from what's called the working bay. And some of them wouldn't even wear hard hats. So when one of these, what we call a twist lock or a shoe in some regions, when it comes down, it could break your skull. So we had this lashing, what we call a subcommittee. And we were working where we had a bunch of lashers, we had managers, safety professionals, and we were all working together to hear the lashers voice because for the front line, you have to make them understand why that rule is there. And it, and they will then in turn tell you why it's not a good rule or why they understand that the rules there. We found out during this committee is that the lashers didn't want to wear their safety vest because the lashing pole would get stuck in the pockets and it was creating an unsafe condition and someone wrote the rule and wasn't thinking and the hard hats they wouldn't put them on because when they would go to look up the brim was blocking their view so they couldn't see the containers so we were able to understand why they weren't doing this and so what we did is we ordered lashing shirts same high visibility met the ANSI 2 standard and they wore these shirts and we used a different hard hat so we looked into different industries and found that rock climbers they have a different type of hat and it doesn't have the brim and it stays on their head and so we had some test guys test it out and even the most hardcore foreman who was not in compliance actually started wearing his hard hat and we listened to we had them tested out they wore their hard hat they wore the safety shirts and i'm like oh that's all we needed to do to get you in compliance (laughs) we that was the reason why you weren't wearing it oh were there people on the management team that said what's wrong with these people how come they won't do that that's an easy tendency ready to fire them ready to but fire now people. you had to try honestly to see things from their point of view and that's that essence of that common ground it says can we just talk help us understand what's going on here and it's amazing how that breaks down a wall right and that common ground exists and you achieve it in collaborative environments to try to make a decision with management about what the problem is Whereas Sharifa, you went out there to talk to them about what the issues and concerns were. It came down to something so simple, probably something that could have been fixed a while ago, but unless you're collaborating with them, you miss it. And I had the luxury of not only collaborating, you know, I had a really good group of guys and they said, why don't Mm. you try lashing so you understand? And lifting the pole, I was like, whoa, because you think you have to be strong. And they're like, see, Mm -hmm. it's a technique. This discussion has been so uh, just enriching and helping the people that listen to this. I think we're always more than what we do, right, Sharifa? And there's, there's so many different facets to what we do. And I think that in our careers as safety professionals or whether that manifests into something that is more environmental or sustainability centric and some of our listeners will have a combination of responsibilities. 
but we are more than our jobs. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to look outside the scope of what we do and what we think defines us and how do we apply these skill sets to the peripheral of our jobs from a societal perspective. What are some of the things that you have learned within the course of your almost 30 years or 30 years working in this industry that you think are applicable to societal needs, to to creating a greater society as a whole. For the listeners, Sharifa and I live in the same city. We Our kids have gone to the same schools. Mm-hmm. We work in the same industry and she's she's making moves. But what has really pushed you to kind of spread your wings to be impactful, not just at work, Sharifa, but also from a societal perspective? That's a great question. We live in the great city of Long Beach, you know, but but there's different inequities. And so I had the privilege of being appointed to the Equity and Human Relations Commission. Um, and that's where, you know, you're able to really work on these inequities in the city inequities that you even see in the job workplace. You see people all the time, right? Where they're qualified, but they're passed over. They don't get promoted. You have people that complain or you have people that don't like certain things. And my goal in life, um, I have six grandkids, is to be a role model for them to just that. I don't wanna hear you say something, come with solutions. How are you going to make this better? And so from the safety professional world, that's what we have to do. You have to come up with solutions to make things safe, right? And identifying risks, identifying hazards, making them safe. One final thought about your safety career. As you look back over, Sharifa, what's been like a shining moment? I would say creating other leaders. When I transitioned from environment um, into this new role, I was so confident and happy because I knew who they asked to take mm. my place was going to do well. Says so much about Sharifa, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, how often do you hear anyone say that in a position that they're in? And and that's what safety is all about. That's what true leadership is all about. Well, Sharifa, thank you for telling your story and explaining some challenges that you faced and faced them head on, and uh, it's a great, solid, marvelous example for the people that hear and listen. It will be an encouragement to everyone. Thank you so much. And thank you both for including me. This is such a wonderful experience, and so um, I want to thank also your listeners for tuning in. We just heard a lady with courage, guts, innovation, all in one package. Wow. She knows exactly who she is. Mm -hmm. And when you know exactly who you are in this journey, it makes it a lot easier to drive success, to be impactful, to face challenges when you're assured of who you are. In the Carnegie world, we often talk about these verbs, be, do, and have. Everybody wants the end results, but it really starts in being. Yes. And that leads to the actions, Mm -hmm. which leads to the results. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I really noticed, Tiffany, this lady just didn't sit back and say, okay, y'all look to me and respect me. She got right out there. She got right out there. Learned, met people. And to create a path for everyone else. 
I mean, that's really true leadership. She's an example when it's not about the I and me, it's about the collective we and us. Yes, that's it. Mm -hmm. So great stuff. Thanks for listening to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast produced in partnership by Dale Carnegie and BCSP with your hosts, Dale Carnegie Master Trainer Merle Heckman and Tiffany Felix, Senior Vice President of Global Environmental Health and Safety for Paramount Global. Executive produced by Charlie Eltringham. Supervising producer, Michael Escobedo. Audio engineering and editing from Michael Escobedo and Giachi Liu. Editorial support from Tyson Matthews. Consulting producers are Colin Brown and Mark Sullivan. To have new episodes delivered directly to you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. If you would like to share your story of a safety leadership challenge you faced, email us at info at mybigsafetychallenge.com. See you next time. Hey, listeners. This is Merle Heckman, host of My Big Safety Challenge podcast. I imagine that if you're listening to this podcast, then you have some sort of safety responsibility in your job. Maybe you're a seasoned safety pro leading EH&S programs, or maybe you're an HR and safety is one of the many responsibilities you have. No matter what your situation is, you are looking for ways to be a better leader. Well, I'd like to tell you an opportunity that's available from Dale Carnegie and BCSP. We've put together a leadership course just for safety professionals. We've taken the Dale Carnegie course and all its principles and weaved in the whole safety world to help you as a safety professional to have more influence. In the course, you will learn how to properly connect with other people and then build upon that with the ability to have collaboration, creating an atmosphere where people feel like it's safe emotionally to work together, and then allow you to learn how to lead and guide people who make mistakes, who want to do well, gives you the chance to know how to guide them with so much more. If you're interested, please click the link in the episode description or visit MyBigSafetyChallenge.com and look for the BCSP and the Dale Carnegie course link at the bottom of the page. We'd love to see you be a part to benefit your organization.